All right, hello everyone. Welcome to the, I guess this is the sixth episode of the Good Music Podcast. Yeah, it's it's six episodes. Six episode. episodes. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. I'd already passed kind of what my initial thought of this was. So. You didn't think you were going to get this far? Well, no, not that I didn't get to think, but I had the first five kind of already pre-thought up of in my mind, and so this is kind of now getting into newer territory as far as kind of how I've been shaping everything. So, hmm. um, so yeah, here we go. Number six, um... I'm Lucas, and uh, I've got Justin back with me for his second episode. Hello, everybody. Thank you for keeping me around for the second time around. Yeah. I really enjoyed talking to you last time. It made things pretty easy for me. It made things a lot easier for me to talk about. Didn't feel so much pressure to remain really interesting the whole time. <laughs> Just carry everything. Yeah. Oh, gosh. That's that's so hard to do, because I've got to... I feel like I have to word everything perfectly and I've got to be fully responsible with keeping myself on track and um, just keeping the conversation flowing and hoping that I don't have any brain farts where I just have dead silence of just like, oh, what do I talk about next? (laughs) However I do that, now I can just look at you and be like, say something, say something. And this is just recording, so it's just like... Yeah. You're just like, uh, must fill mm-hmm. something. Yeah, and I just, I feel like I get a little too stale when I do it that way. And so it's, I can't put as much personality into what I'm talking about when I'm by myself. So I really like having you on board and okay. having someone to talk to and someone to keep me focused. Well, I've read some of the comments on your podcast and... Seems like people like it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And that, uh, if you guys are liking what you're listening to, uh, whatever platform you're on, please leave a comment. Let me know what you like, what you would like to see improved in the future. And um, leave us a rating. It really helps with getting us um, higher up on on Apple's priority list. So you'll hopefully we'll kind of start to reach more and more people that aren't immediately being... Um, uh, exposed to it just kind of with me posting on social media and and all that um again thank you everyone that has been listening to all these episodes um i've kind of noticed a trend now that like i had those first couple episodes that just blew up <laughs> like i looked today and my cold play episode has now passed 300 listens but that's cold play you think ah uh, but man does do you get much bigger than the Beatles though? And I've got like seventeen listens since that one. I guess it kind of depends on maybe it's your demographic. Maybe I'm not sure because also my Metallica one is almost at two hundred now. Maybe so. I'm kind of trying to I'm trying to figure it out. But um, however, however it's being distributed i know that there's just i have no idea how my podcast is reaching all the different countries that it's being listened to and so maybe there's something to where there's certain artists that they're specifically looking for that just happen to be um happen to be flagging them or kind of just like popping up on their on their what's new feed Mm. i'm not quite sure how it's working but i mean 300 listens on my coldplay episode that's 
That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm sure you're pretty proud of that. <clears throat> yeah. And, yeah, uh, Steely Dan's sitting at about 30, and Beatles sitting at about 17 or 18. And Coldplay at 300. Yeah, and Metallica's <laughs> at, like, 190. It's pretty good. So it'll be interesting for, I can, once I get enough episodes, I can hopefully maybe start to detect a pattern, see if there's any genres or um, decades that are getting more or less listens. Maybe I can kind of start to find a pattern on what's more popular and if there's a reason I can see. I like to kind of get into stats and analytics and stuff like that, so I'll, uh, I'll let you guys know what I find out once I start to do some more research. Um, but yeah. Is there a way that your listeners can reach out to you? Um, again, leaving a comment is a great way. Um, obviously, I'm not going to put my personal phone number or... <laughs> I mean, just if you are able... I've said my name many times. Um, if you're able to find me on Facebook or whatever and want to leave a message, you're more than welcome to. Um my my preferred thing if you want to find me is to go find my Spotify page and um because that's where you're going to find all of the music that we're talking about every week um and so if you just search in the um in the search bar Lucas Christman and that's just L U C A S C H R A S M A N all lowercase all one word you'll find me and you'll see a lot of playlists that I've made, but the one that pertains specifically to this podcast is the one that says Good Music Podcast Edition. There is another playlist that just says Good Music, and that's a different thing, although you're m- more than welcome to take a look at it. I think I actually follow that playlist. Yeah, because you're kind of part of the the uh, the playlist thing that's almost been like my trial run for a lot of these playlists that I make. And so there's we'll get to the point to where some of the songs that I pick are going to be identical to the ones that I'm putting on the regular good music playlist every week. So, um, but yeah, and I've, I've got plenty of playlists on there. I've got some ranked playlists where I take an artist and I rank every song they've done from worst to best. I've done that for Queen, Pink Floyd, Metallica, Dream Theater. Um, I've got some where it's just bands in chronological order. Sometimes I just like to hear that hearing a band kind of from start to finish. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I've just got some random ones, like uh, I've got a heavy metal playlist that's just all my favorite metal songs. I've got a, a progressive rock playlist on there, and just kind of a collection of stuff that I like. So, But the Good Music Podcast Edition playlist is on there. That's where you'll find the songs we talk about every week. And give those playlists a follow. And I I don't know if they notify you whenever new songs are added to them or not. But maybe they do. I'm not sure. But you'll definitely be able to find each time that we upload an episode that um, the songs will be on there. And yeah, just whatever platform you're listening to this on, subscribe. It'll ding you whenever a new episode comes on. Share it. If you know people that like stuff like this, they like our, you know, they're music junkies or just want to know more about different artists, then um, just tell them to give it a listen. And I would just highly encourage, if you see the title of an episode and you see the band and it's a band you don't like or don't normally listen to, I would still highly recommend that you give it a try. Because you just might find something that you never knew before. Or you might uh, find a new appreciation for it. Maybe you'll hear it in a new light and it'll 
spark your interest in it in a way that you hadn't had before. So, I mean, that's kind of the journey I'm on. It's the journey Justin's definitely going to be on because he's going to be listening to a lot of stuff he's never listened to before. Yep. So, yeah. That takes us to this week. Yeah, this week. Uh, I'm I'm really excited about what we're talking about this week. We're going to be talking about um, one of the best bands to come out of the 80s, for sure, and that is Tears for Fears. Mm. Um, whenever I was picking the songs for this set, I just, like, forgot, in a way, how good they are, and I just started, like, binging, like, all the Tears for Fears I could get. And just kind of, like... Even songs that I've heard a million times, just kind of like rediscovering them and just like gaining more and more appreciation and love for them. And yeah, Tears for Fears, it's like they're they're underrated as far as they're a band that a lot of the younger generation really doesn't know too much about. Except one song, probably. Except one song. And and then another factoid that I'll get into a little bit later that uh, is kind of a new demographic that Tears for Fears has become very popular with mm. as of recent. Now, I know the one probably famous song that everybody knows from Tears yeah. for Fears. Yeah. But I have to say, listening through this week's playlist just kind of like blew my mind. I mean, yeah. this is a band in the 80s that is just incredible, incredible mm-hmm. Lyrics, like, so catchy, just so many riffs, great and very interesting instrumentation. It's like, I think one thing I noted was, like, every song, you think it's going to be one way when it starts, and then, like, as the song progresses, you're like, oh, Mm -hmm. this is not what I was expecting at all. And, like, it's never, like, kind of locked in a box. Like, you you know, a lot of music today, you feel like it's just like, oh, like, you could could probably guess, like, this is going to go here, and this is going to go here, and then that's it. And Tears for Fears is not not like that. Yeah, at all. yeah, they're so creative, and they just they never are content with doing the same thing twice. They're every album they kind of move somewhere different sonically. I got to see Tears for Fears live. I want to say it was three years ago at the BOK Center. They did a, a double headline tour with Hall and Oates, and I went with my dad. Um, and Tears for Fears were incredible. I'm assuming your dad is a big Tears for So Fears Tears fan. for Fears is my dad's all-time favorite band. Mm. And their song, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, is his all-time favorite song. Of course. So, uh, yeah, he he's the one that, that introduced me to Tears for Fears. Gave me um, the essential albums to listen to. And <clears throat> I remember the first song he showed me was uh, Sowing the Seeds of Love and... I, like, didn't get it the first time I listened <laughs> to it. And uh, weirdly, the first Tears for Fears album I got into is, like, probably their most obscure one. And one that I'm not featuring any songs from on this play on this update. But I will definitely get to on, like, a volume two. Mm. Um, but then it just kind of slowly got into... Is that your phone? It is. You need to silence that thing, man. Gosh. Uh, Airplane mode on, too. Um, It's probably because you're still connected to Wi-Fi. But anyway, 
so I kind of started with some of their more obscure stuff and then moved towards the big popular 80s albums that they released and continuing to discover more. I still really haven't dug into their first album that much. And I haven't really listened to any of their reunion stuff, although I've heard it's not really worth going to see just because it's, you know, it's really hard for when a band breaks up and they go past their prime and they come back together and make new music. It's very rarely ever holds a candle to like the original. Well, and some of their other stuff like that they came out was really kind of carried by, you know, one of the band members, right? Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't for a while. It wasn't like the two of them again. It was just the one guy. Yeah. So going into their history a little bit, um, there's pretty much two, key guys that made up Tears for Fears. And that's uh, Kurt Smith and Roland Orzabel. And they're both from England, but they they really came onto the scene when New Wave was starting to really, really pick up. And you can tell that they were really influenced by a lot of the technology that was really coming to prominence in the 80s. Yeah. And I was reading that they were only 19 whenever the first album came out, which is just insane. They had led up to that with some singles, though, didn't they? Yeah, they and they were in a previous band before. That's right. And they just, they kind of like, just they both had a vision of what they really wanted to do. And so they broke off and formed Tears for Fears. And there weren't a lot of other long-term members with them. They had a keyboard player that stayed with them for the, the three 80s albums but they didn't really ever have a you know a consistent drummer or and they just they brought in a lot of auxiliary players especially as they got later into the 80s especially the seeds of love album they had tons and tons of outside help um speaking of keyboards tears for fears is kind of known as a synth pop yeah, but at least they started out as one. Yeah. They That first album, The Hurting, again, it's not an album I've delved into as much. It's definitely the next one on my list of Tears for Fears albums that I need to really um, understand more. I've definitely heard several songs off it and really like everything I've heard, but it's definitely the most electronic of all of their albums. You, I'm not complaining because I think you already know this about me, but synth pop is my favorite music genre yeah so this i mean every song on here has just been fantastic oh yeah they the thing that just i love about tears for fears is they never use electronic instruments as a crutch yeah like a lot of people do where they'll use the electronic instruments because they don't want to put in the work to actually get a live band in there and a lot of these parts like or a lot of these songs that i've noticed they're like, all the synth stuff has very specific parts. Like, it's not, mm-hmm. like, just this wide washing, wide covering thing that they're just kind of like, okay, that's fine. Like, it's so specific and yeah. so particular in their sounds as well. They were so creative with how they used all of their keyboard parts. Mm-hmm. It's just, that's kind of what I always really loved about them, is that they were so, they were really a very experimental band. And they rarely ever confine themselves to traditional song structures or your kind of your typical sounds and parts and arrangements it was just it was always so creative but they just they instead of approaching it like maybe a a traditional prog rock band would where you know you've got 
guitar, bass, drums, yeah. keyboard, vocals. They took the technology that was becoming very prominent and they took it in directions that no one else was thinking of yet. So why do you think Tears with Fears is like... I mean, they're, I mean, when you think about the 80s, just classic. They kind of really defined the 80s a little bit. They did, yeah. Especially the, that second album, Songs from the Big Chair. That's, that's one of the defining albums of all of the 80s, I think. And I think it's just because they... They did such a good job of fitting in with the times. Like, they they weren't fishes out of water as far as, like, you've got all of this synth stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And then you have this band that comes in that's trying to do something counter that. But at the same time, they were. But they were they were disguising it with the sounds of that time, which I think was so brilliant of them. Yeah. That they didn't... <clears throat> openly rebel against where the music industry was headed, but rather they took advantage of it and then challenged it in more clever ways. And they still, you know, speaking about the 80s, like they still had like that rock feel. Yeah. You can definitely feel that, especially the later they got into mm-hmm. their career. For sure. But it's just they knew they knew that the synth sound would pull people in initially because that's what everyone was into. Right. It was either that or they were going to have to be a hair metal band. They were going to do that. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, that would be a hilarious image to see the two of them with spandex and long hair and makeup. <laughs> um, but it's just, yeah, it was either that or go this or go the synth way. And it was just, yeah, they, they tricked listeners into thinking they were like the other synth pop bands. But when they actually listened, they were just like, Oh, this is different. Mm. This is this is a level higher than what everyone else is doing. And so I think that that's where they really won. Like and I'll I'll get into it more when we get to the songs, but like a song like Everybody Wants to Rule the World is such a 80s sounding song, but it's got so much more layer and detail to it than your normal 80s song. Yeah, absolutely. It's just it's like it's just it's kind of this really great contradiction that they tapped into where it's easily accessible but really musically challenging at the same time. It's a really that's a really hard thing to pull off. And how about the vocals? I love their vocals. So both members of the band do sing lead vocals throughout mm-hmm. the band. And I kind of just now recently have been able to kind of discern the two and can tell who's singing which. For a long time, I just thought that Roland was the lead singer, and um, then I when it was actually when I saw them live, and I saw Kurt singing some of the, their big songs, I was just like, "Oh, I didn't know that he sung too. I just thought he was another member of the band. Yeah, that he just helped write the songs and was one of the main guys. But I didn't realize that he was the lead singer as well. But oh, that's part of my life. Hello. This, is. this is what you get when you get when you listen to our podcast. Just life happening. Don't mind us. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, Roland's voice—it's just one of a kind. You you pick it up as soon as, as soon as you hear it. It's so distinguishable, and he's got such um, range and flexibility oh, to yeah. it he can use it in so many ways he's not boxed into singing just one particular way 
I think one of the biggest things I noticed, especially as we get into the songs, but especially in this first song, I mean, he really just kind of shows off a little. Uh-huh. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Uh, he's he's one of my favorite voices. And especially the more I've been listening to it recently, his voice is kind of what really started to strike me that I hadn't really appreciated as much before. And Kurt's voice is great, too. Um, but Roland is definitely the star vocalist of the two. Now, similar to the Beatles, like last week, just in terms of instrumentation, I mean, these guys with Tears for Fear, I mean, they had so many great melodies, so many mm-hmm. great riffs, like, just so catchy. Um, and it could be anywhere. It didn't have to just be in, like, the chorus. I mean, it could be, like, even just the verse or, like, towards... The, especially... I love how, especially toward the end of a lot of songs, like they kind of, they kind of break things up and they kind of like just make real. Ca- especially, I think what's one of, the, especially as we get in the songs, one of the, I think in Mad World, there's just just I love how as they get to the end, they start like changing up the melody a little bit. And it's just like a little bit more staccato, mm-hmm. but it's so much more like interesting and it's fun. Uh huh. And they do that a lot in their songs. Yeah. They're, they always take turns that you don't expect in their songs. And, yeah, just at the end of the day, they were great pop songwriters. It's the same thing I said about the Beatles. You can break the boundaries as much as you want, but kind of at the end of the day, if you're not a great pop songwriter, it, you're going to have a hard time lasting and, yeah. and standing the test of time. Because whatever, what's gonna bring people back every time is the melodies. You gotta have great hooks, and I think that there's always just really cool ways you can use those hooks in in different ways than what other people are using. And if you can combine experimentation and originality with great pop hooks, I think that that's kind of the ultimate form that you can get to. Sure, it's what the Beatles did, and. Just, I think that, I think that Tears for Fears just kind of was. I mean, to say you're at the level of the Beatles, you can't really. But man, they they really got up there in the '80s. There was there were few people writing better pop songs than they were. So let's get into the songs. All right. I'm kind of surprised at this first one. Yeah. Only because, in terms of what came out and even in popularity. You have Woman in Chains first. Yeah. Why is that? So, <clears throat> picking the first song was actually the hardest part. I, I, I already knew what I wanted to do everywhere else. There was a part of me that wanted to just start off with a bang with Everybody Wants to Rule the World. That's how they started their concert whenever I went to see them. And But it was just kind of like... If it if I put it first, I didn't know where to, what to put in song two, because I knew that Seeds of Love needed to be the third song because that just that feels like a good end to the first half. Sure. Um, and then I had actually never listened to Women in Chains before, and I was just like, "What's the first song on the Seeds of Love album?" And so I was just like, "Okay, let me pull it up," and I listened to it, and I was like, "This is what we have to start with." <laughs> And the reason I picked it, ultimately picked it first, is just because I felt like it's more so than, like, anything else. It just sets a mood. It's almost like a really long, beautiful prologue. Mm. 
to where it never gets like super intense or super um it's almost like you're priming the whole time and then when you hit song two it's kind of like you're ready to fully embrace whatever is going to come afterward i'm not gonna lie when i first heard this song i hated it yeah i was just like this is so boring mm-hmm and like the the vocals are very nice, the melody is very nice. But I was like, this is a ballad. Mm-hmm. But honestly, the more and more I listened to it, it really kind of got me. The exact same thing happened to me. Like I knew I wanted to put it first, but I was just kind of like, oh, but I'm not. I don't really think I like this. <laughs> but then I kept listening to it, and it just it kept growing on me, and just I kept noticing different things, and then just by the time after a couple weeks of continually listening through this set and just making sure and kind of like living breathing inhabiting this set of six which is what I do for every I try and always go about four weeks in advance as far as what I'm planning to give me myself enough time to really sit because only a lot of times I'll make last minute changes to where I've been sitting with it for a while and I was just like you know what the song's not really working here I need to put something else here um and just when I was listening to this set of six, the more I heard Woman in Chains, the more I was just like, golly, this is a masterpiece. This is just an incredibly well-written song. I mean, this song, it's kind of funny. It, It's just like one big build. Uh-huh. Like, it just grows and it grows and it grows and gets so big. And even just the opening, like, I love the opening of this song. I've come to love it because it's like, it starts one way, classic Tears for Fears way. Yeah. And then you're just like, okay, like... And then all of a sudden, this like this synth ballad sound comes on. You're just like, "What in the world? Like, mm-hmm. this is not what I thought it was going to be." At yeah. Uh huh. And again, the, just an aside. This is why, um, if you're going to be listening to these songs afterward, please listen to them in order because there is there are very specific reasons why these songs are getting put in this order. But yeah, um, it is really just one big build. And it's just, it's it's all about leading up to that. When it goes to that key change at the very yeah. end, that's like the whole reason the entire beginning part of the song exists, yeah. is just to make that po- point worthwhile. And those are my, end up being my favorite song structures. The ones that really forego the, the peaks and valleys aspect of, you know, up, down, up, yeah. down, up, down. And you have a song that just starts minimal and you just constantly go the hill. There may be like small dips and ends there, but like the whole general scope is that you're going upward. And it doesn't feel old. Like normally when, I mean, I can't really say about some of the music that we that we norm, would normally play, mm-hmm. but like when you're doing a build, like you only feel sometimes like this, a lot of times you feel like you can only go so far before it's just like, okay. We got it. And yeah. then somehow they just like, I mean, this thing, this song is like, what, like a six it's minute? It's a six and a half minute song, and yeah. And it like, it carries all the way for five minutes, you know, four or five minutes before all of a sudden it's just like, It boom. explodes, exactly. yeah. Exactly. Which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, credit to that. And I'll just, I'm going to talk about the Seeds of Love album in general for a little bit. Just kind of give some context on that. So that was their third album. Came out in 1989. And at the time, it was actually the most expensive album ever made. And just because it, it took them a really long time to make it. Um, they were perfectionists in the studio trying to make every song exactly the way it needed to be. And they brought in a lot of outside musicians for this album. 
Woman in Chains alone has two different drummers playing. Crazy. Two different top tier drummers. The first the first half pretty much all the way up until that big drum fill kind of at the halfway point uh, is a guy named Manu Kache and he is known for being Peter Gabriel's main drummer. And he fun fact actually played on a for him song in the 90s. Peter Gabriel. Uh, no, Manu Kache oh, did. Manu Kache. No, Peter Gabriel would not do that. <laughs> I'm sure your dad would have loved that though. Oh, he would have, absolutely. Um, but yeah, Manu Kache is an incredible drummer. And he's also who plays drums on um, a song later on here, Bad Man's Song, which the drums on that are just off the chain. It's great. Uh, and then once those, that Phil comes in, it's actually Phil Collins. Interesting. Because they wanted to almost recreate that in the air tonight moment. The yeah. ba-bum, ba-bum, ba-bum. And it's kind of a similar yeah. Phil. And and he plays the song. Um, he plays the rest of the song, and so just kind of showing that that alone, they're bringing in two different drummers for one song, and say, okay, you're gonna play all the way up till the three and a half minute mark, and then you're <laughs> gonna start at the three and a half, and you're gonna play all the way to the end. And they also had a uh, Pino Palladino playing bass on that song, okay. and throughout the whole album, he's just an industry legend, probably most known for being John Mayer's bassist yeah and just doing all kinds of different stuff so in another big important aspect of that song is the vocals from oletta adams yes just providing that beautiful counterpart so the story about how she got hooked up there was that while they were touring for songs to the big chair which is the second album that came out in 85 they came across her like in this kansas city um club and she was singing and that's when Roland had this realization that he wanted to kind of abandon a lot of the electronic aspect of the band because he just felt that her soulful performance it was just like I think it was just like her and like a couple of other sparse instruments but it was just like the simplicity of what she was doing that but was still able to like pierce right through us and just affect us in our hearts and souls he was just like, that's what I want us to be mm. now as a band. That explains a lot of why, as the, as you go on, there's a lot more kind of a jazzy feel mm-hmm. to a lot of their music. Yeah, they definitely were inspired to kind of, obviously still using quite a bit of electronic elements, but going towards a more natural approach. Now, I don't know if this is just because this is the 80s, but one of the things I noticed, too, about a lot of these songs is that they close out some of these songs with some really long fades. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, fades were very popular in the 80s. Um, A friend of mine, Ethan Scott, once said that if you ever fade out a song, that means that you're not good enough to know how to end it. And I don't fully agree with that. I think that there are instances where people fade just because they don't know how to end it. But I think there's also instances where the fade is really nice. But if I let me let me think about it. I guess I guess only the first three songs on this list have fade outs. The other ones yeah, have the other have, have pretty clear cut uh, endings. Um, but yeah, it's it. I really like the long fade. I think that I don't know how you would have ended that section on a hard close. Right. It's because it's like that's that section is so cathartic and beautiful that you kind of just want it. To, trail off yeah it's just so dreamy on its own it's just like just to break it with 
a swell or mm-hmm. any kind of, you know, trash can per se. Yeah. Which really makes me interested. I don't, I can't remember if they played this song live when I saw them. Because again, I hadn't heard that song yet whenever I went to see them. And so I'd be curious to know how they do in that song when they play it live. Mm. Um, but anyway, yeah, so that song, again, is just to really kind of get you ready. It's start off with this song that's just one big crescendo. And then you're kind of like get all these emotions working up with you. And then you go into song two from there. Which is, of course, the one that everyone... I would say one of the two that everyone knows. There's going to be something maybe a bit controversial of a song that I did not include in here. Um, but I'm not going to get into that quite yet. Um, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. It was the it was their breakthrough song. Right. Went to number one in America. Pretty much is what made this... It was like their first single too, wasn't it? No, because it was off their second album. It was their first single in America. Okay. But it wasn't their first single overall because gotcha. um, they just they hadn't really. The first album did really well in Europe, but didn't really do anything in America. <clears throat> and the thing that's interesting, and I just this this happens so often, the song that gets added last to the album is usually the one that that ends up being the big hit. I've seen it happen on so many albums. When I was doing the research for this and found out that. This song was the last one recorded mm-hmm. and the last one added, and originally it wasn't going to be on the album. That's just like crazy to me. But this song, I mean, one of the classics of all time. Oh, yeah. Like, I would say that it's one of the few songs that you could say could represent the 80s. I think, I think I discovered this song probably about five years ago, and even in that span of time how much music has changed this song is still like no matter what when, the moment it comes on you're just it's just a bop mm-hmm. I just I, th- I think a big component of that is that drum beat that drum beat is so strange and stands out so much that it just it kind of really grabs your interest in you listen to it and you're just it, it makes you go wait what's going on here because it's that you've got the time signature is technically 12 8. Because you got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, right. 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 on the hi hat. But then you've got the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. But then the kick is also doing a shovel. I don't know if that's going to even pick up on the microphone. That's such a crazy mind-bending drum beat but it's so cool i think that if that drum beat hadn't have been in there i think it still would have been a big song but i think that's it's like that's the part of the song that gave it such a unique yeah. sound and it's so i mean we can say this now but it's that's so 80s oh yeah drum, i mean you i mean you can hear you hear it a, a lot in in music now but like that's that drum beat is the bedrock of so many 80s songs yeah and even just the the tone of the drums. I mean, you can it's just like big, like boisterous driving drums. So that's mm-hmm. that's just come. That's really what's kind of helped define the eighties a little bit. Yeah, and I think I mean, of course, I love again going back just because they're a synth pop band. I love the beginning, like little hits here and there. The dun dun 
Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it just, and it immediately, it captures your attention because you're like, oh, this is a groove. Okay, mm-hmm. I like this. Yeah. Those those two chords is what inspired them to write the song. He just, they they were working on a different song and uh, Roland just got the guitar out and played those two chords because he's the guitar player as well yeah. for the band. Um, and so he just played those two chords and they were kind of like, ooh, let's, let's see kind of what we can build around that. And so they created the song from there. And they were really skeptical about putting it on the album. They felt that it didn't fit with the other songs that they had written. The The rest of the album is a fairly dark record. It's got a lot of, um, just a lot of introspection and a lot of, um, a lot of depression in it. Just because that's kind of what they were going through at that time. And what they gone through. And so bright. And yeah, and so they were, just, they were just kind of like this song would just stick out so much if we put it on the album. And they said that the turning point was when they changed the song, which originally was called Everybody Wants to Go to War. And mm. when they changed it to Everybody Wants to Rule the World, that's when Roland kind of flipped and was just like, okay, I can see this now yeah. being a hit. I think one of the, I mean, I pretty much love everything about this song. I mean, the instrumentation, the progression of it. I mean, again, classic Tears for Fears technique, but just, it isn't, it never in the song is like, can you guess like where it's going to go? Yeah. Like it's always changing. I mean, from like, especially like going in the chorus into the bridge, you're just like, oh wait, this is a bridge. Oh, okay. It's mm-hmm. like, I would, you normally you would think it would go here, but just like, oh, it's over here. Yeah. And again, great, um, great vocals throughout. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like so. This is one that it. this is one of the ones that Kurt sings. Yeah. And I didn't know that for the longest time. Hmm. I remember like freaking out whenever we saw them in concert and turning to my dad and going, "I didn't know Kurt sang this one. I thought <laughs> Roland sang it." And yeah, so. And again, great lyrics. Yeah, yeah, lyrics are great, and it's just again they were so good at writing these. Really happy sounding songs with these really down lyrics. Yeah. I mean, it's all about like what greed and power corrupts and what it's doing to people. And But the melody is just so like, it's so catchy. You're just like, I yeah. don't care. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. They, they do that a lot on their songs. We'll, we'll talk even more about that when we get to Mad World, which is, I think, a really great example of depressing lyrics with a really uplifting, danceable feel to it and i have to ask you i mean i i'm a little biased because this is probably my favorite song mm-hmm. from tears for years but do you think this is their best song as far as objectively i'm gonna say no but i also do have a little bit of a bias <laughs> for our number three song because that is my sowing the seeds of love is my favorite tears for fear song and in my opinion I think that this is was like the height of their creativity. I think that just as far as just what they were able to come up with and just put into one song mm. and how they combine all of these elements that just don't work while still having great pop hooks and being really unexpected and original. I think I think that if you're looking at it objectively, I think that Sowing the Seeds of Love is their best song. Okay. Well, let's talk about it. Okay. The again for me, I mean, just the the intro once again, just classic. Mm-hmm. It starts out one way, and you're get just like, yeah, get and it just goes, and then 
as the song progresses, I mean, it just similar to uh, Woman in Change, it just gets bigger mm-hmm. and bigger and bigger. And then, of course, it's so funny to me just that how like it how they started they start this one way with this catchy riff and then all of a sudden there's this twist in the instrumentation where it goes to the chorus mm-hmm. and they start singing yeah. so in the season of love complete key like, change yeah and... complete change and you're just like what is happening here but i really like and it's not and it's not even a bad thing like, mm-hmm. i really like it <laughs> yeah yeah i mean just i i feel like uh, you've gotta there are times to have formulaic pop songs if it's well written enough but when you have those pop songs that just throw you those curveballs, especially depending on, you know, the chords that they use or the instruments that come in. Like when that trumpet comes in during yeah. that reprise and you're just like, what? <laughs> What's the, happening? I love that they change, like, they change the the rhythm of it towards the end with the zoom in the sea and just mm-hmm. like they're breaking it up. Yeah, that's a bit of a time signature yeah. change there. You I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a very Beatles song. Yes. Yeah. You can definitely tell that it, kind of the Seeds of Love album in general is you can tell that they kind of went back to like it's it's really fitting that we did Beatles last week cuz it kind of showed us the blueprint of what a lot of artists did later. Yes. Like I feel Roland even said that he thinks that Sowing the Seeds of Love is their I am the walrus. I was going to say I I read a, an article earlier this week that talked about how the two of them uh, were really influenced by John Lennon mm-hmm. um, and just his approach to music and just like even uh, they kind of identified with him just like with a lot of the internal struggle and the darkness that yeah. Lennon had as well. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like I said last episode. Um, we sometimes wish that these artists didn't have that darkness in them just because, you know, sometimes it turns tragic, you know, but at the same time we would not have gotten those songs had they not had that. And once again, there's a long fade on this. Yep. On this song. Yeah. But it works. It just, it freaking works. Yeah. I just, man, I love this song. Um, it's a really political song when you delve into the lyrics. Yes, it is. So at the time they were writing it um, was when uh, Margaret Thatcher was... Um, Prime Minister. Prime Minister of England. I don't really know too much about British politic history. Um, I just, I know that... A lot of musicians didn't like her. I haven't really researched the whys and what her policies were, but um, they definitely were writing about that. The the line, politician granny with your high ideals. Have you any idea how the majority feels? It's just like, it's <laughs> so obvious what they're talking about. Yeah. And just kind of, you know, it's... It's a very, like, 60s hippie flower power song. They even talk about um, sunflowers and love power. It's just like, the lyrics are totally from a different era. But it's like, at the time when there was a lot of cynicism about the future and about what the government can and will do as far as the good of the people. And it's almost kind of like going back to... To a time when people were more optimistic. Just that feel-good music mm-hmm. while you're, you know, completely shwasted or something. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it's just, it's like, it, it was a great marriage of, again, you've got the great 80s production, but you've got that retro feel with the lyrics and the eclecticism of it. 
and just... I think this song is also... I mean, there's another song that I feel this way as well, but this song really kind of has that classic rock feel to mm-hmm. it as well. Yeah, and that's helped out a lot by the the natural instruments. Yeah, like there's, I feel like there's a lot of drive and a lot of oomph to it, especially mm-hmm. in the guitars. Like, they really, there's just some grit to it that kind of helps take it over the top, especially like when they get into that chorus and mm-hmm. towards the end of the song as well. Yeah, great drum track. Um, yeah, just I I feel like sonically just the seeds of love is their best sounding album it's just kind of as far as what they were and it makes sense why they spent so long that recording it they were really making sure that those uh that those vocals and the instruments sounded amazing and i would say i think i would agree with you on this that i think this song is probably the most musically interesting i mean just mm-hmm. with so how much they had in it and, and how it never feels too much yes it like get it gets right up to that line where if they had added anything else to the song it would have been too much but they like knew exactly where to stop and that's like when they hit that perfect level of so much interesting stuff going on but not to where it feels overcrowded so that takes us into our next song Mad World. So now we're going backwards to their first album. Uh, the first album was called The Hurting. It came out in 1982? Yes, 1982. I really hope that I'm not wrong and that it's not 1983. Um, no, I feel like I'd never heard... I have heard this song. I just didn't know that it was by Tears for Fears or that it was uh, a cla- an 80s song. But I just... I mean, everybody knows... So, especially from the intro, you, you just uh-huh. know this song. Yeah, so there was actually a really popular cover of this song that came out in the early 2000s. Yes. And th- I think that that's the version that actually more people know. It's like the it's the really depressing version yeah. where they're singing really slow and it's just like minimal instruments and but um, I mean that so- I mean it's just that synth sound right off the top that really yeah. kind of gets you. Mhm. Yeah, um, yeah. Mad World was it was the, it wasn't the first single they released off the album, but it was the first one to really get them big in Europe, mm. and so um, it got them into like the top ten, where their first two singles didn't do that, and so that was the song that like paved the way for them to really hit it big on that second album. That if they hadn't released Mad World, there was talks that you know their label would have dropped them because they weren't doing as well as they wanted them to. And the original story was that that song was actually supposed to be a B-side to a different single. Gotcha. And their one of their producers said, "Wait, hold on. This this song could be a hit. You need to you need to release this as its own single. Don't stuff it away on a B-side." If they hadn't have done that. I don't think we would have gotten more Tears for Fears. So it was a really fortuitous thing that that producer made that call. And, and just, a, I feel like it's the right call. I mean, the, the chorus riff is so catchy. Oh, yeah. It's definitely, uh, it's definitely the, a really 80s-sounding song. Yeah. You can, you just, again, when you listen to the song, you really hear that they were just neck deep in... The technology of that time and that they were they would kind of start to walk more and more away from it as they got older and more experienced but so kind of what I when I was saying earlier 
about kind of the current generation's feelings on Tears for Fears. I heard them say in an interview that they've actually recently been getting a lot of um, praise from college-aged people. Interesting. Saying specifically that that first album, The Hurting, they said is like the album that got them through college. And I think it, the reason that is so is, first off, because that's the age that they were at when they wrote the album. And it just did a lot of the lyrics in that album, uh, at least from the songs that I've heard, just all kind of deal with that shedding your childhood and figuring out how to become an adult. Um, you know, looking at the lyrics of Mad World, just you have that line, the dreams in which I'm dying are the best I ever yeah. had. That's just that's a very um, it's it's they haven't said that that's about like wanting to die, but just kind of like how when you dream, if you're going through a lot of stress, if you dream about you know skipping through the fields, it's like that's not very cathartic, right? But like when you have dreams that you're dying, it's like when you have that feeling when you wake up, it's kind of like those you get almost like this cathartic release of just kind of like. Oh, and that's just like they, the, that's the feeling that they wanted during that time. Well, I think it helps. Like, so many of their songs are just so anthemic. Like, mm-hmm. it's so you can. Anytime I hear some of these songs, I'm just like, oh, I can just imagine like a whole stadium full of people just like yelling it out, like on the top of their lungs. Like, it just yeah. fits. It fits so well, and just in in that you're just like it's so easy to sing, mm-hmm. and almost everybody knows it, and it's just like yeah, we can just sing this all day. Yeah, yeah, that song was great when they did it live. I remember them doing that at the show that, um, at the show that I went to. I also really love how the song ends, just on the percussion there, mm-hmm. like it's exactly how it starts. Yeah, but it's just like. It's just so, I feel like it's so subtle. Like, mm-hmm. you're just like, okay, like, we're done, but let's, yeah. Keep vibing with us. It's, it's a, it's a good change. And I actually didn't do this intentionally, but it's a good change from the fade out. Yeah. You, you get three songs worth of fade outs, and then you get to this song that doesn't fade out. And it's, it's kind of a very, um, subliminal scratching of an itch, I think. Now, now that I think about it, it's, it's, going to be kind of cool as I talk through these things. The the details that I don't think of coming up as far as set listing these songs and um, just kind of how like these songs should naturally fit together. So that takes us into our next song, Head Over Heels. Head Over Heels. Kind of the uh, the, the, the underrated hit in their in their discography i would agree with that like people don't immediately talk about this song and they talk about their big songs even though this was a big song it's it's not to say that this song flew under the radar by any means but the other so many of their other songs got so much bigger that like any other band would have killed to have this song yeah i mean even just like that i mean such a powerful piano intro yeah like and again, just almost kind of defining the sound of the 80s. It's just like this big instrumentation just like mm-hmm. right off the bat. And it comes in with that, I think it comes in with that guitar line. 
yeah. as well. And, just, yeah. and it's just so not. I mean, is it a guitar? I can't remember if it's a synth or guitar line. It's a, it's the guitar. Okay, but yeah, just I mean, even that, like it's, and it just kind of reminded me, like a lot of their song, like just going the theme of their song is just like this big in your face, full sound, just like smacking you in the mouth, like right off of the bat. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's another song from uh, song from the Big Chair, the second album. Um, it was the uh, it was the third biggest hit off of that album with Everybody Wants to Rule the World and then yeah. Shout being the other one, which that's the song that... I was going to say, I was surprised that it wasn't on this list. Well, it's mainly just because I didn't know where to put it. And also because I'm going to do another Tears for Fears episode at some point. I don't want to use all the biggest hits right off. <laughs> Got to leave myself something for volume two. But also it's just like, to me, Shout didn't fit in this group of songs and you're gonna see that with a lot of different episodes like it's it's i want to preface again that i'm not just picking the six biggest songs i'm not just picking their six best songs or my six favorite songs right it's going to be the six songs that i feel like fit together the best and give you the best feeling from start to finish and just shout just i didn't know how to put it in with the other songs that i had already decided i wanted to use so one of the things that I've noticed about Head Over Heels uh, that I personally really liked is there's some really interesting vocal effects. Yeah. For the first time, like, that you don't really hear much in some of their other songs. Mm-hmm. I actually heard some behind-the-scenes on how they did the vocals on this song, and it's just, it's, what it is, it's just, it's a really great use of double-tracking, mm-hmm. but using it in really um, unorthodox ways. Like how on the verse, it's you do a line double tracked and then a line solo and then a line double tracked and a line solo and that's and that's kind of that's how they got that effect. And the times he would go falsetto, he would double track that. But then when he would come down, it was just a single track. And so that's why the the vocals sound like that. Yeah, the vocal accents, especially toward the end. I mean, yeah, so nice. That sing along part yeah. at the end. So whenever I go to concerts. I love to predict, first off, what they're going to open with, then what the main set closer is going to be, and then what the encore is going to be. And I was wrong on what they were going to open up with. I thought they were going to open it up with Seeds of Love, and they completely surprised me by just going straight into <laughs> Everybody Wants to Rule the World. But I got, I knew the encore was going to be Shout. I just knew it in my gut that that was going to be the last song of the night. But then in my mind, I was thinking, okay, Head Over Heels is going to be the the main set closer because I just to me having that sing songy part yeah. there that's just such a great way to like end the main part of the show that's yeah. like you you can loop through that as many times as you want um, and you can um, just it's just like you everyone in the crowd's gonna be singing along to it and everyone did I was. And have ending with that really kind of almost creepy moment where he's just like, time flies. It's just like, it kind of creates almost a little bit of tension. And something you just said just reminded me of this thing that I've noticed about all the Tears for Fears songs is that uh, I think part of the reason why they're so good with, you know, their instrumentation and everything is because they're so good at transitions. Yes. Like, I mean, 
just as an example, like the the piano intro, like you mm-hmm. could get into this song, like from any song, just because like whether it's a clean break or not, just because mm-hmm. of the way it starts and it's just so in your face, like yeah, that's like all of their songs just ha- just have these great transition points like throughout, mm-hmm. and they're just so good at that. It made it so fun to figure out the transitions in the set because you can do a lot of cool things. Oh with yeah, it. you're not bound to it's got to be this song, then this song, then this song. Um, and then I picked a very specific version of the song to put on the set because when you listen to the song on the album, there's like this kind of weird instrumental mm-hmm. part that comes at the end, but I didn't want that. So I, what I did was I picked the single version Gotcha. and it just ends with the time flies and it's just, it's yeah. just kind of echoes into nothingness. And cause the, the last song just kind of starts really low. And so I kind of wanted to have like this bit of almost awkward silence and tension and so, um, and I kind of, I didn't tell you this. I was kind of like, I wanted to tell you to listen to that very specific version so you could kind of hear. Because if you just pick the album version, it's got, it's got this instrumental outro to it, which I'm not as big of a fan of. I love just the, the, um, the echoiness of the, of the vocals just kind of going into nothing. I think when I was searching for the song to add to my playlist... I did find the other version, mm-hmm. but I ended up pulling this one just because it was what you had put. But I did yeah. notice that at the end, I was like, oh, this is different. Yeah. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to start sending you the links to the various, to the specific versions just to make sure. Because again, it does matter with how I'm sequencing the songs. If there's subtle little differences, especially at the beginnings and ends of the songs, then you know there's going to be things to where I want the longer versions or I want the shorter mm-hmm. versions just for the sake of the transitions. Um, we've got one more song in the bonus song, but we're going to take a break real quick and when we come back, we're going to, we're going to finish this tail section. So stay with us. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back. Sorry we kind of cut in a, a weird spot there. This uh, program that I'm using to record this doesn't let me um, go past an hour, and we were at 57 minutes and still had two songs to talk about, so I needed to make a break so I wouldn't go over the, the time limit for one recording session. So um, we'll, uh, we'll we'll figure out how to make that a little smoother in the future. But um, anyway, we left off on talking about Head Over Heels, so now we're going to talk about the last song in this set. Bad Man's Song. Bad Man's Song. I really like this song a lot. This is another song that kind of the more you listen to it, the more you kind of realize what kind of song you're dealing with. This kind of, I mean, I know this kind of predates a little bit, but this kind of reminds me of something that Snarky Puppy would do. Yeah, it's kind of, it's got some fusion-y elements to it, especially the way the drums and the pianos are played. Kind yeah, of some... and that whole intro section, I mean... Yeah. is incredible. And actually, I think the first time I heard it, I was just like, oh, Snarky Puppy? Nope, <laughs> nope. still Tears for Fears. Okay. Yep. Yeah, uh, Mano Cache playing drums on that again and just killing it. <clears throat> they played this song live at the show that I went to, and it was one of my favorite parts of the show. Yeah. Watching the drummer, it wasn't 
Manukache playing live with them is their drummer that they've had for them for the last several years. Um, he just completely murders on this song. He did like this drum solo in the middle. It was really funny, the story of watching them. So there's the, there's the big solo section in the middle where they kind of go back a little bit to the intro feel. And it's a, kind of a piano solo and the drums are doing all this crazy stuff. And Roland walked off stage, just backstage during that part. And it came time for him to do his part again to come back with the verse, and he wasn't there. <laughs> and it, just, it kind of looked like he was stoned a little bit, like because the whole show he was just he was kind of a weird dude. Like he would kind of like slowly walk around, and he just would like kind of like sing like tilted over like this, and he just liked his hand movements. And it was just you could tell that he. I don't know if it's just because he's a weird person in general, or if he was kind of on something that night. He was great. His vocals sounded incredible the whole night. But he just, he didn't come up on stage. And so the drummer just decided to go off on this little mini drum solo. <laughs> and they were just, they, you could tell they were caught on a look around. And then finally he just kind of walks back up on stage and sings that <laughs> third verse. And I guess like, it helps that this song is like, I mean, just the way it is. It They can get away with that. It's, yeah, it's it's not a song you could, you couldn't have gone away on that if you were doing Everyone's to Rule the World yeah. or head over heels or something else like yeah, that's just, the if there's a song that you're gonna just randomly go mia for a little bit that's the song especially at that part yeah i feel like this song more than i think more than the others like doesn't really have much of a struct like a set in stone structure yeah i mean there you do have the uh the, the main part of the song so that's the the, the chorus the in my head, there's a river. When I've been bad, I've been wrong. Kind of that's kind of the only consistent part of the whole song. But it's really cool how they reprise different parts of the song yeah. in different ways and in different spots. I think the one one of the things that I really liked about the song too is just reminding me that you know rock is still cool. Like it's mm-hmm. just I mean just out of all the songs that were on this list, like I feel like this is like a really just classic rock feel to it. Yeah, it's definitely the most guitar heavy of all the songs. Yeah. Uh that's like that riff That's like just like a good old rock and roll riff. And it's right got, there. Yeah, it's got such great drive on on it. I mean just the mm-hmm. tone of it's just like it just kind of makes you I mean not headbang, but you're just like, oh, this is a rock song. Yeah. Yeah. Just the like, drums are Yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely the the heaviest of all the songs on this list. And it's just, it's epic. It's a really epic song. You get to the end of it, because it's like about nine minutes long. Yeah. And it's just, that's the, the reason I wanted to do this song last is just I wanted something like, I wanted the big centerpiece at the very end. You have the, the kind of the, the tension built at the end of Head Over Heels with that vocal line just kind of trailing off, and then you just come in with those drums. And you just kind of like immediately know you're about to get something big. This isn't going to be, you know, a somber, reflective ending. It's not going to be like a pop ending. This is going to be an ending that you're going to get to the end of it and you're just going to go, whoa, what the heck did I just listen to? And similar to some of the other songs, I mean, just love the vocal as- accents. And then, of course, the background vocals, like, mm-hmm. all the way through. Yeah, Aletta Adams comes back for this song as well. Yeah. And she, 
Uh, they didn't originally intend for that to happen. This was actually the first song that was written for the album, the Seeds of Love album. So this was the the second song on that album. So when you listen to the album, the first three songs are Woman in Chains, Bad Man's Song, Sowing the Seeds of Love. Like, what, what a hit list right there. Yeah, it's and really kind of the rest of the album's a little underwhelming because it's just yeah. like, it's so, that album is so front heavy that you get into the, after that, and you're just kind of like, we don't really get to that level again. And those songs are just all so in your face. Mm-hmm. It's hard to kind of recover from that. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, like, that's the way those songs would have to be paired on that album. Yeah. But, yeah. So that was the first song written. And uh, it was inspired by when they were on the road for Songs from the Big Chair. And they went back to their hotel rooms. And Roland said that the room next to him had some of their crew members and it was they were up like partying all night. <laughs> and he was trying to sleep and he got really mad. And so he like put his ear to the wall just to see what they were doing and they were like trashing Roland bad. Like just cursing him out and all this stuff. And Roland was just like, I didn't know this. <laughs> I didn't know I was being a jerk to them. Oh, I feel... And so he wrote this song just kind of as a... Letting them know, hey, by the way, I did hear what you were saying last night. The line, I heard every word that you said last night. Here's to the boys in 608, which is the, the room right. where they were in. And so he's just kind of like, the song's just this realization that you thought you were this great person. And then you find out that other people think you're a bad man. <laughs> and just kind of that m- moment of just like, maybe I am a bad man. Maybe... Like, because of course, you know, sometimes your reaction would be like, they're just full of crap. They're just, you know, then there's other times you're just like, maybe I am like that. Maybe I just didn't, no one's told me. Maybe I got to kind of look in myself a little bit and make sure I'm not this big old jerk. I think that's the level of like songwriting that really kind of inspires me. It's just like, one, being vulnerable enough to, to, to do that. But then two, just to kind of almost pick up anything that you just experienced. Like, oh, you know what? I can... I can put this in the song. Mm-hmm. Put these, it's these amazing the things together. that inspire you. Yeah, it's just so crazy. Mm-hmm. So that takes us to our last song, True. So yeah, uh, those of you that are tuning in for the first time, we do a main set with our featured artists, and then we go to a bonus song from a different artist. Usually a bit of a lesser-known artist, although to say that Spando Ballet is a unknown artist is not true no but i was a bit surprised when you texted me you said hey here's the here's a song and i listened to it it's like oh i know this song oh yeah like i'm not gonna a lot of times these songs will be big songs but maybe not necessarily from like a band that's got a really deep catalog but what's the connection here like, why'd you put this song so they actually whenever tears for fears broke up so let me explain this a little bit so after seeds of love Kurt Smith and Roland had a big falling out. Mm -hmm. Um, Kurt was unhappy that he wasn't singing as many leads anymore. He only sang lead on one song on Seeds of Love when it used to be a pretty even split and just didn't agree with the songwriting decisions that they were making. And at the same time, Kurt was going through a divorce and just had a lot of issues he was going through. So after Seeds of Love, they split off. And Roland did two Tears for Fears albums by himself in the 90s. Um, and then they got back together in the early 2000s. Big reunions. They were, they were split for about 10 years. 
And whenever they got back together and they did like their big comeback tour, Spando Ballet is who went on tour with them. Gotcha. So that's the connection there. I mean, this is still, to me, I mean, there's, it's an iconic, oh, like, yeah. catchy riff, especially the intro. I mean, you're just like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, I think, I only know this song probably because I, I think I've heard covers of this. Mm-hmm. And, but, it's played at weddings a lot. Oh, so much. Yeah. And I think that's why I, I know this song. Mm-hmm. But hearing the original was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Spandau Ballet is just one of those bands, like, I don't think I would ever de- dedicate a full episode to them. They're just not that kind of band. They kind of had their moment and then faded away. Who knows? Maybe I need to look into them more. But kind of the way I was looking, I was just like, I don't think I'll ever do a full episode span. This this will be my chance to spotlight them. I mean, this particular song, I mean, just keeping in theme with Tears of Spheres, like they had some really nice vocals on there. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of sonic similarities. Yes, there are. Especially like the catchy instrumentation. Mm -hmm. It's very, very, very similar. The same model, same vein, definitely as Tears of Spheres. It definitely made sense after listening. Because I had actually... This was one of those songs I didn't know I knew it until I listened to it. Yeah. Like, I just, I kind of, I, I was looking through, just trying to find a band that connected to Tears for Fears somehow, and saw that. I was just like, oh, okay, cool. Let me, let me see what their most popular song is. And I listened to the song, and I was like, I've heard this before. I did not know that this was them, or that this was this song. And so, um, and I was just like, oh yeah, then this, this is a great bonus song to have. So yeah, sometimes a bonus song will be a really, really obscure song, but then sometimes it'll be a really popular song by maybe just, again, a lesser band. So I'm going to ask you this. If you could sum up Tears for Fears in five words, what would you say? Um, or three words. Let's say three. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll use five. And that five is, um, they are great pop songwriters. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just, it's exactly like I said with the Beatles. You can experiment all you want. And just, I think the biggest thing that has made Tears for Fears last and stand the test of time is they were such good pop songwriters. I told you this during the break, but I, I mean, I have really enjoyed listening to Tears for Fears. I mean, I, of course, know their, I mean, to me, it's their biggest, it's their best song. And I think it's, the, it's of course, their biggest hit. But, mm-hmm. I mean, listening through Sowing the Seeds of Love, Bad Guy's Song, I mean, all these, I mean, it's just so, so, like, I've had it on repeat. And I've just, I've loved it more and more. Even Woman in Chains. I'm just like, this is, this band, I mean, is and of course, it helps that, you know, this the genre is like right up my alley, so mm-hmm. I, I yeah. love it. I've really enjoyed listening to this playlist. Good, I'm glad. So uh, that is a testament to all you listeners. We have someone that barely knew Tears for Fears, and through listening to these songs, is now definitely going to be going into their back catalog and listening to a lot more. Um, so, <clears throat> those of you that have Spotify, again. I said in the beginning of the episode, find me, follow the playlist. You'll find the songs on there. If you don't have Spotify, that is okay. Still listen to the songs in the order that they appear. Because the order is very, very important with getting the full impact of these songs. But I would just, I would really highly recommend to not just listen to this episode 
and then just go on and not ever understand what we're talking about. Like if you may have listened to this episode and not heard any of these songs before, hopefully we've intrigued you. We've piqued your curiosity. Just like, okay, they're singing Tears for Fears Praises. I need to actually like go hear what they're about. Like I really, really wish that I could just play the songs on here, but I can't. Copyright. Copyright. It's, uh, it's something. Hey, classic eighties band. If oh, not yeah. one of the faces of the eighties. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and we will definitely come back to Tears for Fears. There's there's some deep cuts that I wanna I wanna eat up as well as you know we we left off one of their all time biggest hits with shout right so that'll be something to hold you over uh whatever you're listening to leave a comment maybe uh let me know what your favorite tears for fear songs are which ones you would like to see come up in a volume two episode um if you agree or disagree with our picks and uh next week we're going to be getting into one of my favorite Pure rock and roll groups, and that band is ACDC. Woo! ACDC is a band that I really didn't respect a whole lot until recently, but now get ready. We're gonna we're gonna be going full on rock and roll next Fun week. In fact, was that through rock band? Is how you found them? You started to respect them? No, actually, it wasn't. Well, yes and no, but that's that's a story for a different episode. Um, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you like what you're listening to, subscribe, share, leave us a comment and a review, and hopefully you will tune in to the next episode. And until then, keep on listening to good music. This is Lucas. Thank you so much for listening. See you guys. Bye.